0: before we jump into our message I want to share one announcement real quick as we get started if you are working in the medical community at all we just want to be able to show our appreciation to you and we realize that um, a gift is it really can't thank you enough that that's not um, doesn't even come close to really appreciating you for all the things that you've done over the past year and a half um, but as just a way for us to say that as your church as a staff um, as a ministry as your church family we have been praying for you we love you. We're so thankful for you. We believe that you have been the hands and the feet of Jesus this past year as you have been serving in your communities, in hospitals, in nursing homes, wherever you might be. And so we have a gift that we would like to share with you just as a little way to say thank you. Um, It also supports a ministry called Doctors Without Borders. And so all the purchases of these also supports not only to encourage you, but it also is a way um, that we can support doctors around the world who are currently fighting against COVID in places like India in um, the crisis there. And so we just want to thank you so much for what you do and how you do it. We haven't forgotten the work that you're doing. We love you. Um, if you go, just let's appreciate all of the people who are working in our medical community. And so those will be available in the lobby, lobby after the service. If you're watching online and that applies to you, just shoot us a message. We'll figure out how to get you one that you could pick up or even send it your way. Today we're continuing our series, Upside Down Kingdom. It's going to be the last week in this series. And so throughout this series, we have been digging into the reality that at the heart and center of Jesus' mission and his message is what he preached and described as the kingdom of God. And so all throughout Jesus' ministry, he would announce what he called the good news. We, we translate this as the gospel, and that good news was the announcement of the kingdom, that the kingdom of God arrived. Jesus said, repent and believe the good news. This good news was that the king showed up, that the king was present, and therefore because of his authority and power, it changed reality for wherever Jesus was present. And so Jesus came and he brought the kingdom. Now for many of us, when we think of the word kingdom, we don't tend to think of kingdom the way that Jesus described the kingdom. And most of that comes because we don't really live in a world that operates with kingdoms. And at the same time, many of us, when we read the Bible, often the the phrase kingdom of God also gets translated as heaven. And so we think of kingdom of God primarily as about the afterlife, while the reality is when Jesus taught the kingdom of God and when he demonstrated the kingdom of God, it was less about a distant future and more about a present reality. And so what we think of as the afterlife, a day where there'll be no more sickness and no more pain and no more sadness, the heart of the message of the kingdom of God was that which we were waiting for actually breaks into the present moment. And so every miracle that Jesus did was demonstrating the arrival of that kingdom. And so he would heal someone because the day that that would come where there would be no more sickness, Jesus gave evidence to it being right now, that moment arriving in reality that the kingdom of God was now here. And so in all of the miracles, Jesus is giving evidence and demonstrating that the kingdom is here that the kingdom of God is at hand. And so we get glimpses of that in different moments in the miracles of Jesus, even in our world today. And all of these point to what Jesus describes as the kingdom of God. And so as followers of Jesus... Jesus also then gives instructions to his followers, the early disciples, as they follow Jesus. He wants them to be participants in this upside-down kingdom. This upside-down kingdom offers a new way of thinking about God and about what it means to be human, an upside-down way of living and relating to other people and the way we love one another and even loving your enemies. And so Jesus describes for his followers what he wants life to look like for them as they then are ambassadors for that kingdom. To think about what it looks like to then share and bring that kingdom in their life into every relationship. And so if you could open up the the book of Luke chapter 9. I want to read for us when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and how he describes this in relation to the kingdom of God. He says this. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. And so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. And so these 12 disciples, they're followers of Jesus, and essentially what that means for them as a disciple, they are students of Jesus. Or um, a a better way for us to think of it, students is, in in our mind, we think of students sitting in a classroom memorizing things and reading books. Um, Really, the reality is they're more like apprentices. They are like interns with Jesus. And so they go along and follow Jesus in order to do the things that Jesus are doing. And so when Jesus prays, they learn how to pray like Jesus prayed. When Jesus does a miracle, they learn how they might be able to do what Jesus did when Jesus would teach, they would be doing it so that they could then teach other people. And so it wasn't just learn the information, but it was learn to do the things that Jesus did. And so what was true of the disciples, we have all learned that this is also true in our own life, that we learn by doing. Right, you have learned this, many of you students, you have learned this, that the best way to learn isn't just sitting in a classroom. While that might be important, the best way to learn is by actually putting things into practice, by trying out the things you're learning. Right, you know this about like when it comes to cooking. You can't learn to cook just by reading a bunch of cookbooks. You can, you can learn all the ingredients and you can even memorize the ingredients and the information, but the best way to learn how to cook is by putting some ingredients to a pot and start stirring the sauce. And even you have to make some bad sauce in order to learn how to make good sauce, right? The best way to learn to cook is by cooking and by trying and failing and learning along the way. If you want to learn how to play football, it doesn't matter how many playbooks you study. You can learn and memorize all the plays, you can learn the defensive formations, you can learn all of that. But if you don't get some pads on and get out on the field and hit somebody, it doesn't really matter how much you studied. If you want to be a graphic designer, you can can learn the Pantones and you can learn all the codes for all the the colors and know what colors perfectly complement other colors. But if you don't open up Photoshop and start sketching out some ideas and then putting it into the computer, you don't really ever become a designer. But right, you have to put it into practice. The same thing is true when we participate in the kingdom of God. That we can learn all the information and we can read all of, and find all the answers. But if we don't learn to put it into practice, we miss out on so much of what we could learn in the kingdom of God. And if you want to learn what Jesus meant, the best way to do that is by doing what Jesus did. If you want to learn what Jesus means when he says love your enemies, the best way to learn what he meant by love your enemies is not by figuring out what the word enemy means. It's by loving your enemy. It's by finding somebody you don't like, don't agree with, have a hard time agreeing with, and it's loving them. That's the best way to learn how to love your enemies. The best way to learn how to be compassionate like Jesus is compassionate is find someone to show compassion to. The best way to learn to be generous is to Try being generous and to try and fail to put it into practice. This is what the disciples did as they were following Jesus. They were putting things into practice for three years as they followed Jesus. They're putting it into practice. Jesus would teach, Jesus would model, Jesus would show, and then the disciples would try to do the same. And, and, if you, and if you read the story of the disciples, not only do they try, but they also often fail. They don't understand what Jesus teaches. They, um, they doubt what Jesus would do. They even fail at trying to do the same things that Jesus did. And so Jesus, Jesus calls the twelve together, and they're his apprentices. They're doing what Jesus did. And Jesus gave his disciples then power and authority. And that is key when we think of what the disciples end up doing. Right? The only reason that you and, I, you and I are here in the church is because the disciples did what Jesus did and the kingdom of God moved forward and expanded. And the only reason that ever happens is because Jesus gave his disciples power and authority. That they had an authority that was passed on to them from Jesus and they had a power that allowed them to do the kinds of things that Jesus did. Now we see this in a few other places throughout the scripture. In Matthew 28, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go. Right? Jesus understands that he has been given an authority that comes from the Father. And then as he has these followers apprenticing him, he says, now I'm going to hand that authority over to you. I'm going to give you permission and authority to go to the places That I'm sending you. And so he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The disciples are given authority to make more disciples, who then make more disciples, who make more disciples. And then in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul describes the power of God when it says, the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. In other words, as a follower of Jesus, the same Spirit that actually raised Jesus from the dead, that power is within you. The Holy Spirit lives in you, which gives you power as a follower of Jesus to do the things that Jesus is asking you to do. And so the disciples have this power and authority as they they are a part of the kingdom of God. Now, I believe there are three big dangers in the Christian church when it comes to power and authority. And those, those dangers come in a, f- a few different ways. One would be power without authority. The other would be authority without power or just getting rid of power and authority altogether by replacing it with something else. I think all of those are tendencies that happen because of the reality of being, being humans, that we, we think it's not about God's power, it's about our, our power. We think it relies on our authority or our position or we just come up with our own way altogether to try to promote the message of Jesus. And so the first of those, power without authority, that would be, that, that would be what we often see in religion when, when um, somebody maybe has this, this position and maybe there's some skills and, and opportunity, um, but they don't actually have the authority. There's no open door into relationship to share the kinds of things we need to share. The best way that I can think of power without authority would be, think, think about like the street gang on a neighborhood street. Right? They have power in that neighborhood, but they don't have authority in that neighborhood. So they would have power to do the things they want to do in that neighborhood. Maybe that's because of numbers. Maybe because of that, that's because of money. It could be a variety of things that give them power. And they don't have the authority. They don't have the permission or the jurisdiction to do the things that they're doing there. But because of sheer power, they can get what they want on those streets. Or that would be what happens when we have power without authority. That because of, our, because, of, because of maybe our positions of influence, because of our skills, we can force our way to get what we want even though we haven't been given an open door into that relationship. Authority without power, that would be for the cop who shows up in that neighborhood with no backup. And so he has authority to enforce the rules of, of, of the land. And when he shows up in that neighborhood, though, without any backup, he doesn't have the power to do what he wants to do on the streets. And so because he doesn't have relationship with with maybe the street gang, because he doesn't know the people, he might want to enforce something or even bring freedom into the neighborhood. But without any backup, he can't do what he thinks he needs to do. And so he has the permission from authority, but he doesn't actually have the power and some of us are trying to live that way as a part of the kingdom of God. Maybe we, ha- we feel like we have authority, but we, are- we aren't tr- relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus asks us to do. And so we want to go to the place, but we don't want to be dependent on Jesus to do the things that he does. Or we try to operate with power and often by our own power, but we don't try to go to the places where there is already an open door into those conversations, now the biggest threat, I believe, is this third, and that would be replacing power and authority, and this can happen so easily in the church because what happens is we get very good at the professional side of church. We, 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 we get good at, at doing the thing, right? We get good at the services, and so we can create good programs that the kids want to be at, and it can be fun, and it be, can be exciting. We can craft a message, and we can write music, and so it gets really easy, though, then to depend on what we do as an organization, if we can balance a budget and if we can sing well and preach well and have some good kids programs, we can grow the church. But so far too often in the kingdom of God, that's what we rely on. We, we replace power and authority with programs and abilities. And So what happens when we do that is we might grow, but we're not growing the kingdom. We might transfer people from one organization to another. We might make some things we really like, and can promote well on the internet, but we're not growing the kingdom, not with the power and authority. And so when Jesus calls the disciples, he invites them to use power and authority, to use power and authority as they follow him, to go to wherever he has sent them, to do what he has called them to do, to not operate by their own abilities, like, this, that's why when Jesus sends them out, he says, don't take anything with you. Don't take a bag, don't take an extra tunic. Why, why does Jesus do that? Because he doesn't want them to be dependent on themselves to accomplish what he's asking them to do. See, it's not, it's not actually on them to do what he's asking them to do. It's the power of Jesus. It's the authority of Jesus. That's what they carry with them. And so the disciples then go and do that. They use their power and authority that is really the power and authority of Jesus to declare and demonstrate the kingdom. Everything they do fits into that category of declaring or demonstrating. Declaring is the announcement, right? It's the announcement of the good news. Jesus has arrived. Jesus, by his death and resurrection, has forgiven every sin that Jesus rescues, Jesus heals, Jesus brings peace and joy. That's the declaration that we still declare. And not only do they declare it, but it tells us they demonstrate it. They they demonstrate it with the kind of people they interact with, with the compassion they show to other people, the way they love their enemies, with the way they cure diseases and heal the sick. All of it then is a demonstration of the work and the love of Jesus. And so I love that the text also gives us then how they go out and do that, because I think that is significant when we think about, all right, if we have the same power and authority, like, how do, how do we then go and share and participate in the kingdom? Because the way that I read the scriptures, it, it seems to me that what Jesus is saying to the disciples is also true for us. Because if the disciples are teaching their disciples to obey everything, then us as disciples would also be obeying the same things that Jesus commanded to his disciples, which would be to do these things, to use power and authority to declare and demonstrate the kingdom. And so, for the disciples, as they do it, in verse three, it describes how they travel. They travel light. He told them, take nothing for the journey, take nothing extra. Some of us need to travel a little bit lighter. Some of us, in the conversations we have, in the relationships we have, in the places that we feel like Jesus wants us to go, we need to leave some things behind. Maybe you have some agendas of the things you need to get across to the person. What's Jesus' agenda? Some of you have some things that you feel like you need to address with this person who's not following Jesus. Maybe you need to leave that behind and ask Jesus, what do you want to address first? What do you want to speak first? See, the disciples, they leave things behind because they're not depending on themselves to then communicate with power and authority. They have to depend on Jesus. It's the only choice. You can't do what Jesus did by depending on what you can do. If you're depending on your relationships, if you're dependent on your skills, if you're depending on what you have, you're not going to be able to do what Jesus asks you to do. And that's the point. Because think about all of our relationship with Jesus. Does it ever really been dependent on us? You are in a relationship with Jesus, not because it's been about what you could do. Like It wasn't ever about like you getting your act together in order to follow Jesus. It's not like you clean up all the sin and then you're good with Jesus. No, it's always been dependent on Jesus. It's been on, dependent on Jesus for your forgiveness, for your freedom, for your healing. It's always all about what Jesus is going to do. And so the disciples go and do the things dependent on Jesus. And so when they go and do the things... I mean, they're, they're participating, but they're not really the ones doing the work. They're not doing the saving. Jesus is doing the saving. They're not doing the healing. Jesus is doing the healing. They're not doing the rescuing. Jesus is doing the rescuing. They're just being obedient. And then not only that, but as they travel, the text tells us that not everyone will want to hear the message. In verse 5, it says, if people do not welcome you, leave their town. In other words, as they go from house to house, they're looking for the open doors. With the power and authority that Jesus has given you, I want to challenge you, look for the open doors. You don't need to go everywhere, but you should look for the open door, the door that's open for a conversation, for a moment, for a prayer. That's what the disciples do. They look for the open door. If the door is closed, they move on. They brush the dirt off. They continue on their way. And then when the door is open, when the conversation is welcomed, then they declare. Then they demonstrate. And sometimes we like to compare our open doors to another person's open doors in order to minimize, like, our open door isn't that important or it's not that great of an opportunity. But that's not what Jesus wants for us. Jesus wants you to look wherever the open door is. Maybe the open door for you is your kid's bedroom door. Because let me tell you this, that there is no place that needs the power and authority of Jesus to show up in your kid's bedroom. And so maybe that's the open door for you to walk through that door and bring the power and authority of Jesus into that room. To speak life, to speak identity, to fight against the fears of your kids in those places. To bring peace and to bring joy into those moments. Maybe that's the power and authority that Jesus is asking you. Walk through that door. Maybe for you the open door is, is with a group of people that you play sports with. Maybe it's on the soccer field and it's, and it's the relationships and the bridges that are being built for the conversations that might happen on the field or maybe the conversations off the field. And so Jesus is saying, I'm giving you power and authority to just look. Just look for the open door. Maybe the door's just cracked open and so maybe you just start with a question and maybe the door just gets opened more and more and more. And that's all that Jesus needs. He just needs an open door and the glory of God will come so that Jesus can do what Jesus always does. And if the door's not open, what do you do? You just move on. Maybe the open door for you, maybe that just gets revealed even by simple, that you're praying, God, show me the open door. And maybe even as you pray that, that, that maybe a person comes to your mind of, I need to reach out to this person. And, and how do you see if the door's open? You, you have to test it. Say, all right, all right reach out and say, hey, I was praying for you. How do they respond? If the door seems open, then go with it. Bring the power and authority of Jesus into that relationship. Now, here's the incredible thing with the disciples as they look for the open doors. In verse 6, it says this, and this is so amazing to me. It says, they set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. In other words, Jesus said, I've given you power and authority. I want you to go and do these things. And then they did the thing. Like, that's the part that blows my mind. It's not that Jesus, like, tells them to go and make more disciples. Like, that, like, in my mind makes logical sense. Like, if you're going to have this movement of followers, you want those people to make more followers. But the fact that they do the things. Like, Jesus says, I'm going to show you all the things I do. And I want you to do the things that I do. And then they do the things he did. Like, they actually did. Like, actually, like, people were healed and, and people were set free. Like, that actually happens. They went from village to village. And people were healed all over the place. They put it into practice. No, I can't help but also then raise the question. Like when the disciples put it into practice, when they began trying to do the things that Jesus did, like what would have happened if they never tried and failed? Because I, I don't know if you realize this, like, there are a lot of examples of the disciples' successes with, with, with healing and miracles and following Jesus, but there's also a lot of examples of the disciples' failures. Like, there's a lot of times where they have no clue what Jesus is saying, and there are times where they try to do miracles and they can't. Like, so what, like, what was it like the first time the disciples are like, all right, we got to try to heal this guy? Like, and Jesus isn't here, like, what are we going to do? Like, what if the disciples said, you know, we're not going to try? Jesus is here, we can't do without him, so like, we're not, we're not going to do that. What if the disciples never tried and failed to tell someone about Jesus? Because not everyone that the disciples told about Jesus became a follower of Jesus. What would have happened if they never tried and failed to share the good news? What if they never attempted to heal a person because they weren't Jesus? What if they never tried to drive out a demon? What if they never tried to share what they heard from God with another person? What would that mean about the power and authority that was given them? It would have been a waste, wouldn't it? Yet the disciples practice. They try to follow Jesus. Now, it's incredible. In Luke chapter 9, the same chapter. So in the verses that follow, it's saying they went from village to village and healing people everywhere. It also gives some clear examples of the disciples' failures. Not long after this, that Jesus is preaching on a mountain. Over 5,000 people are there, and they start to get hungry, and the disciples are like, what are we going to do about the food? And this is after Jesus said, like, oh, you're going to have this power and authority to just do the things that I do. And they're like, what should we do? Like, I don't know. Like, we're not going to find enough food. Like, they doubt God's ability to provide. And then Jesus does a the thing. They're like, oh, shoot, we forgot. And then, and then the same chapter still in Luke chapter 9, they're out and about in the town. They've, they run into somebody who's been healing people in the name of Jesus. Like So they find somebody, and he's going around, and, he's, and, and people are being like cured of blindness. They're being, the paralyzed are, are getting up and walking, and, and he's doing it in the name of Jesus. And they're like, he's not authorized to do that. We need to put an end to that. Like, they, they, they actually, the, the text tells us, they actually try to stop somebody from healing in the name of Jesus. And they go back to Jesus and like, God, like oh, Jesus, you're going to be so proud of us. There was somebody and he wasn't one of us. And so they don't have power and authority. So let, we, we put an end to that, Jesus. And Jesus is like, what? Like, this is a, it's not like it was some other religion leading people away from Jesus. He was actually leading people to Jesus. And they, they're like, we're going we're gonna to put an end to it. And Jesus is like, why are you doing that? And then the kicker, which I think is, is the, the clearest in Luke chapter 9, because it is specifically one that was listed by Jesus. And so a man comes to the disciples and asks them to cast out the demon out of his son. And like I, I, like I try to play that scenario in my head. Like what, like what was that like? Like he comes to the disciples and Jesus isn't there, and so they're just standing there, and he's like, and he's describing the situation. And so, and, and, and so this, this man, like the text describes it, that this boy had been thrown into fires and there's possibly some kind of epileptic episodes going on as well as a spiritual ailment. Um, all kind of happening at the same time. And so he's just explaining what's going on to the disciples. And I imagine them, they're like looking at each other like, oh, like, is it time? Like, is it time? Like, oh, we need to do the thing, like, right now. And so, like, and I picture them, like, talk, kind of, like, whispering to each other. Like, who's going to do the thing? Like, like all right, who's going to do it? And, and, like, also thinking in the back of their head, like, I hope that, I hope he doesn't make the demon eyes at me. Like, you've seen the movies. Like, they're, like, like just, man, like, please, I don't want to pee my pants and have to do a miracle all in one. And so, they're, like, please don't make the eyes, or, like, at least not the voice. Not, like, the deep, creepy voice. And so, they're looking, and then the voice comes, and then, and then so, like, one of them, Thomas is, like, Peter or you do it. You're the crazy one. Like, we'll back up. Like, you go ahead. And then he goes forward, and like, and then he's, and then he's like, oh, I should have took better notes. Like, when Jesus healed the guy, like, like what do I say? What do I do? And then here's, here's what the text tells us in this situation. It, it says, the man who asked for help, he's, he said to Jesus later, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. They tried, and they couldn't do it. Which may be a little bit depressing, but to me it is so encouraging. They tried and they didn't. Like they put it into practice. And then after what happens, they, they failed. And then Jesus said, oh, let me teach you something about what happened. And then Jesus does a miracle. They put it into practice. They failed. And, and I wonder if we have the same problem. Actually, the opposite problem. That we don't try and so we don't fail. The disciples doubted God's provision. They rebuked other healers, and they failed at casting demons, yet they were also the people who started the Christian church, and they ended up doing all the same things that they failed at doing. They weren't good at it, but they tried it anyways. In the words of the great theologian, Michael Scott He said, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott. (laughs) Is that not true of how we live life as apprentices in the kingdom of God? Like so often we are too afraid of failure to even take the shot. That we we just don't want to miss. This winter I coached. I helped coach my son's basketball team. And one of the things that we had to echo over and over and over again as we were playing is if you don't shoot, you're not going to score. Because sometimes there is a fear, like, you don't want to miss. Like, you don't want to miss. So, so what, what do you do to make sure you don't miss? Well, you just don't shoot. And so over and over, I, like, I felt like I had to say, all right, just, just shoot. Just, just try. It's okay. Like, you can miss a lot of time. Even the best players miss so many of their shots. Like, just throw it up. And I think that often Jesus is saying the same thing to me. Like, just try. Like, I, I don't want, I don't care whether it's going to go well or not. I just want you to try. Like, I've been convicted of this in my own life, that there are things where it's like, well, I, like, I don't have a great track record with healing, so why would I try to, to pray for healing? Like, I don't have a good resume or a list of experiences with that. And, I, and, and Jesus has been convicting me, like, maybe I should pray for it more often. Like, maybe God wants some more misses. <laughs> Because what if what if one in a hundred times it happens, like like what if like one in a hundred? That's really low percent. Like that's really bad statistics. But one in a hundred, like what? Like imagine what that would do in a place, and what that would do for a person's faith. Like I want to be the kind of kid on the court that's going to throw it up from half court because like at least I shot it. See, the disciples, as they follow Jesus, they use the power and authority. See, power and authority without practice is just a waste of power and authority. So what are you doing with the power and authority that Jesus has given you? As you follow Jesus, he has given you power and authority to do the things that he's done. And so the best way that we can then know what to do with that power and authority is, I think, to ask a simple question. To ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? If Jesus were you, with your personality, with your job, with your experiences, how would Jesus declare and demonstrate the kingdom? To ask that question, to wrestle with that question, and the answer to that question is what it would look like for you to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of God wherever you are. And so for the stay-at-home mom who is taking care of her kids, figuring out what life looks like in the midst of a pandemic, ask the question, what would Jesus do if he were me? If Jesus were me and I was staying at home and taking care of a sick kid, what would Jesus do if he were me? Like, what would he say to the kids at night? Well, whatever he would say, that's what you should say. What, what would he pray? What, what he, would he pray for healing? If that's what Jesus would do in that situation and he were you, that's what you should do. What would Jesus do if you were working in the hospital and you were seeing people dying alone and trying to figure out how do I care for people and, and what would Jesus do if he had the experiences you had in the hospital and the, the skills and the relationships with other people working in the hospital? What, what would he do in that situation? What kind of conversations would he have with people as, as they're going through what they're going through? Would Jesus say certain things to the people who are waiting and begging to see their loved ones? Would Jesus encourage his staff a certain way? Would he pray for the miracle? Whatever Jesus would do, that's what you do if that's you. If Jesus' best friend was diagnosed with cancer, and you're trying to figure out, like, what do I do? That's me. Like, what do I do? Well, just do, what, what would Jesus do if they were you, and they had the same, and they communicated the same way, and talked the same way? Is it a prayer for healing? Is it a conversation? Is it crying? Well, just do that. What would Jesus do if your kid was struggling with depression or suicide? What would Jesus say? What would Jesus do? in them? That's the way you declare and demonstrate. That's what it looks like to bring power and, authority. and you might be thinking, like, what well, I'm not Jesus. Right? That's the point. That's why we're asking, what would Jesus do to demonstrate and declare the kingdom of God? Because the power and authority you have is not to bring your kingdom into their world, but to bring his kingdom. And so what if we all began to practice this a little bit more? What if we all tried to miss more shots? To look at the relationships that we have and the people in our life and ask Jesus, how, how might I declare your kingdom to them? How might I demonstrate it today? What if we risked being foolish and saying, all right, God, who do you want me to pray for? And then actually trying to encourage them with the thing that comes to your mind. What if we risked being foolish and praying that God would heal and, may, and ri- risking the possibility that he didn't heal that time? If we did that, we would be trusting that when Jesus gives us power and authority, he's he's given it so that we might put it into practice. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you so much that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who gives himself to us. And Jesus, you have given us power and authority, but so often we don't put it into practice. And so I just pray that we would be people who try, people who take the shot. Jesus, as we think about our own life and our own relationships, I pray that you would bring to our mind and our heart opportunities where we have wasted power and authority. That you'd bring to our mind and heart the ways that we have failed to trust, the times where we didn't, didn't believe that you would do the things that you do, Times where we didn't look for the open door or enter it. Times where we failed to put it into practice. Hear us now as we confess these to you. the promise of Jesus is that his kingdom is here it's a, it's arrived and he says to you that your sins are forgiven in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen